Bitcoin is absolutely crashing. It's Monday. I was going to say happy Monday, but I don't know if it really is a happy Monday. Look at this chart, guys. Bitcoin now down more than 13%. We will be watching this throughout the day, having effects across the board. Checking in on SPY down more than 3%. So we'll get to the bottom of this, talk about the crash in Bitcoin, talk about what's going on in the equities market, talk about what's going on in the bond markets, talk about oil and gas. We've got Matt Hammond coming on in about 30 minutes to run us through some IPOs. And then at 12.30, Jake Wujastic from TrendSpider will be with us. We'll be running through some charts with Jake. Uh, so let me know in the chat what you guys are watching today outside of Bitcoin. I assume that's what kind of everyone's been watching today uh, as it seems to be what's driving much of the weakness around the overall markets today. But, um, you know, guys, this is how the market's been for the past like five, six months or so. So if you haven't been positioned in, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more cash, maybe a little bit more safe, you know, in a safer manner in your portfolio than being 100% invested into stocks and crypto, maybe now is the time to reconsider that because, uh, you know, we're making new 52-week lows across the board, and usually that's a sign of more lows to come. Let's go ahead, get that intro rolling, start the show, and we'll be back in a sec. This is Ben Zinga Live, Spencer Israel, and producer A.B., What's up, everybody? How are we doing? Someone told me buy high, sell higher. Let's get Matt Hammond on the show to talk some IPOs. Jake Wujasic from Trend Spider. We have a breaking news. All y'all. Let's start with a look at the overall markets as we often do. I was getting ready to say when we were, you know, starting the show, like at least bottom line is we've stopped going down for the time being we're looking at two minute charts let's just let's switch out to some five minute candles here um it looked like we had kind of caught a low but now we're trading back down the pre the last two uh five minute candles so i would just be watching to see if we're going to take out this low of day uh currently 374.93 so 375 Let's look around that level. Let's see if we catch that bottom of the day and get a little bit of a bounce or if we are going uh, to fly through. Because right now, I mean, it looks like there's just no nothing in sight that's going to catch us. Um, I definitely said last week, you know, we were talking about kind of the overall markets. And while I'm still, you know, kind of a perpetual bull and still buying every two weeks, you know, every, every time I get a paycheck, essentially some of that money is going into uh, the stock market and the overall market. Um, but you know, right now, and like I said last week, I think a lot of these big names, Amazon, um, you know, Apple, these names that really drive the price of the market have a little bit farther to fall, you know, another 10% or so. I don't think, you know, let's go to Apple real quick. I think if we're looking at Apple and we drop another 10% from 134 down to, you know, 120, it becomes really attractive down there. And I wouldn't mind buying because I know even if we go down a little bit more, um, then, you know, long term, that will still be a good buy. And then, of course, if we do go over, you know, big actual recession market downturn, let's go pull out a monthly chart on the SPY and we'll look back to the last one uh, in 07 and 08 here. I mean, the SPY was was trading at 155 bucks a share, dropped all the way down to 75. So essentially cut in half. I mean, so what would that look like for us here coming from highs of around 477? We'd be looking down at the 230 level. So all the way um, down here, you'd have to go back to, let's see, 
you'd have to go back to January 2017 to get to those levels. Now, I am not honestly really anticipating that. I'm not um, expecting that. But uh, j just, you know, if you look at overall markets and how they've cycled in the past, it's definitely could be further to fall here. I would be looking more at these pre-COVID levels, 330, 350, I think, is a level that a lot of investors are eyeing. And you got to consider that right now, you know, it's summertime. A lot of Wall Street is a little bit, it, it doesn't stop. Wall Street does not stop. Wall Street does not take a day off. Um, but in the summer, you know, it's a little bit slower. I think people are a little bit more patient, right? I think if we were seeing these moves in, say, September, October, we'd have a little bit more volume on these down days. Whereas right now, people really don't mind sitting on their hands and sitting on cash. You know, there's a lot of numbers out there that indicate that we, we are actually have more uh, cash sitting on the sideline than any time in the past, like, 15, 20 years, and that's including uh, the, the uh, COVID crash when we had a lot of money, not only sitting on the sideline, but coming into the markets. Um, this is coming from Ryan Dietrich, who I, I've been, I, I really, so I like Ryan, he's he's with LPL and they do good research. I've been seeing some kind of criticism, I guess, of his tweets and his style of tweeting, where it's almost like, you know, when a baseball announcer says, oh, so-and-so is the first guy to hit five home runs in a week on the left side of the plate in June, uh, you know, all at night games. And they qualify these, like, crazy stats with all these different things where they basically, like, basically bottom line is that um, Dietrich's caught some criticism that I've seen on Twitter of just saying, yeah, you can find, you can handpick any stats you can to fit your argument if you look for it. But um, I think a lot of these stats are helpful to keep in mind. So we officially today... Uh, S&P 500 down more than 20% from its highs, officially a bear market. And if we look at, um, you know, the returns after bear markets, they've been very good over the past, not just 20 years, not just 30 years, but the last 50 plus years. Look, dating back to 1957, uh, trading days to enter a bear market, kind of how long it took from those peaks. I would consider this COVID, the 2020, just such an outlier because you can see, I mean, only 16 days it took us this violent crash down to enter the bear market. And then you had all this liquidity coming into the market. You had all these assets. You had the Fed cutting rates. And of course, we had that V-shaped bottom, V-shaped recovery. And within 12 months, we were trading up 60% from those lows. Um, that's not typical, right? Looking at the uh, historical bear market. And you can just look at 08, 09 and see that uh, even after going into a bear market, right? Six months after that, you were still negative. Even 12 months after that, you were still negative. And the same thing true for 1973. But for the most part, right? You can count down here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Uh, out of the last 10, seven of the 10, 70% of the time, you're green uh, 12 months later. And the average there is almost 15%. The medium is more than 23%. So that's why, like, I am not, you know, again, worried about this total 0809 type level market crash and recession. Um, you know, and that's why I'm still buying essentially with with 10% of every of my paycheck goes into the market. If I thought, okay, we're going to drop another 30% from here, I would have no reason to do that. I would cancel my contributions and I would say, you know what, I'll just take that cash into my checking account as opposed to going in the stock market until I feel more comfortable out the market. But I know I'm not equipped to make that call. I'm not 
I'm not ready. I don't have the experience to to call a bottom or a, a, a in the market and say, you know, we're going to drop another 15%. So I'm not going to invest right now. I'd rather just keep investing. We keep going down. Great. I'm accumulating my assets. Uh, and when they do turn around, they'll be in my portfolio and I'll be sitting on them and I'll continue to add as, as we go up too. Um, so that's more my long term. My short term uh, portfolio, you know, basically just my options, YOLO, Robinhood account. Um, I'm sitting on my hands today. I'm, I'm basically all cash. Um, the reason for that is I, I was recently let out of PDT probation, where essentially uh, now I have, you know, three trades a week I can make wh where it's a day trade. Um, but I've already used those three. And then tomorrow, I think I'm, I'm one goes away from last Tuesday. So I'll have the ability to actually make a day trade tomorrow. Um, so I'll be more interested in kind of making one of those quick trades today because I was thinking about it and it's like, I could buy some YOLO calls on the queues right here. And I was actually looking at it when we were down like four, almost four and a half percent. And now we've come up almost a full percentage point from there. But if we got this like 2% rally and my contracts went up 100%, I wouldn't be able to sell them today. So I didn't want to do that. Um, then I would run the risk, of course, too, of them moving against me and me not being able to get out of it. Um, yeah, born to be free. I, I, I could probably very much so benefit from that. Um, but let's go back. Let me go ahead and get my Benzinga Pro pulled back up and we'll just do, uh, you know, some more check-ins on the overall market because, man, I mean, I don't know how much more pain, you know, we can take on some of these. Oh, look at this. This is nice. We're looking at five-minute candles here on the S&P 500. So we've come down now. So I was calling out that low to just watch it for the day. 374. We're almost at 379 now. We're almost five bucks uh, above our lows of the day. So let's see if we can, you know, honestly, I even if we stop going up from here, if we can just hold these levels and not touch, go back to those lows of the days, that will give me some confidence going into tomorrow. Um just in the sense that the, the that investors looked at the overall landscape, saw everything, and said, you know what, we're gonna keep buying here. We we, we don't think we're gonna go much lower, but we'll see who's in charge. We'll see if the bears are, or the bulls have the power today. Let's go back to Bitcoin real quick. Um, it's just so tough. I mean, I was I've been pretty open on the show about kind of my. Um, how I've been bearish crypto recently, what problems I've seen in the crypto industry and where like I, I would think needs to be resolved before we start seeing an overall crypto bull, bull market again. Um, you know, we had we, we had Robert McCauley on the show, an economist for, from free um, from Financial Times who talked about his viewpoints on crypto. Um, it's just tough right now. I think you have a lot of people out there that are now, very, very, very much underwater on Bitcoin if they're still in it at all. And my whole point, and when I was buying Coinbase puts and stuff, wasn't just that, you know, obviously Bitcoin going down is bad for Coinbase. But what you have to consider is Coinbase makes its money based on trading volume, based on fees every time someone buys, sends, sells Bitcoin, um, obviously from their Coinbase Pro as well. But when Bitcoin was just barcoding, when it, even even when it wasn't going down, right? We can look right here where it was basically trading. Uh, or sorry, this is Coinbase, where um, Bitcoin was just trading around that three thirty thousand dollar level for 
uh, or forty thousand dollar level for a few weeks, and then we had a big drop down to thirty, and we were trading around there. Bitcoin trading flat is not enough for new investors to want to come in uh, and invest on Coinbase. Coinbase needs Bitcoin to be going up to attract new investors. If it's just trading sideways, that's not going to be good enough for Coinbase to continue to grow. Um, and, and Brian, yes, I mean, exchanges make money in down markets too because volume tends to go up. But uh, bottom line is that trading crypto trading volume you can look at as Bitcoin has come down since last November from a macro perspective has been way, way down. So on days like today, it wouldn't surprise me if the overall trading volume on Coinbase is higher than the last two week average, but it's still not going to touch the trading volume from uh, you know, November 2021 when Coinbase was at 65,000 and you had thousands of new people downloading Coinbase every day. I mean, that's the bottom line is how many people are downloading Coinbase for the first time today, funding an account, investing, probably not as many as when you were at all time highs, which it should be the opposite, right? It should be people wanting to come in and buy down here. But that's just not how the psychology of investing works. The psychology of investing works that when it's at the top, that's when you're going to have the most people talking about it. That's when it's going to be the most hyped. That's when people at their Thanksgiving are talking to their grandparents about crypto because they keep saying, oh, I've, I've heard Joni made some money in Bitcoin. Can you tell me about it? People aren't having that conversation right now. People are having a completely different conversation. Um, yeah, and Ghost, I am watching for some sort of breakout. I mean, I, I definitely think anytime you have these violent moves to the downside, you'll often have uh, almost equally as violent bullish rallies. That just it, it, the question is, uh, are they going to last? Here's Bitcoin on the monthly chart, so you can we can get a really you know big picture. And and I saw someone in the chat saying reversion to the mean, and you can see. So we were we were trading for a while down here, you know, and then just had this crazy parabolic breakout. And basically, anytime you get a parabolic breakout like this, this is how the right side of the chart looks. It's just a matter of when, not if. Right. Let's look at let's look at arc on the monthly chart. Same thing. Right. You had this average. Let me draw a line here. This trend line. Uh, you had an average. Right. Here's like the trend line. You're growing like this. And then what does what what does it do right here? Does it follow that trend line? No, it breaks out way above it. And what does that what happens after that? You're going to revert back to that trend line. Um. And I'm not even I'm not even a, a huge chart guy, but even I can see that, right? Oh shoot, hold on. Right, let's do it. Let's do it again with Bitcoin. Let's draw this line right here. We're going from 17. Bam! You have this kind of nice trend line rising upward, and then boom, straight up, almost a vertical line from here going all the way to 60,000, and you're gonna come back down. Um, so I don't know. Again, guys, I, I, this is not investment advice. I am not the one to be, you know, telling you how to run your portfolio. I think anyone who's seen how I options trade on, on Robinhood would tell you that's a terrible idea. Um, but if you are someone who is still very, very much exposed to crypto to where if Bitcoin dropped another, say, 20 percent, it would like really hurt you. I would I would reconsider that. I would say maybe, you know what? Um, maybe I bought Bitcoin as an inflation hedge, and instead of being an inflation hedge, now I've lost even more money. Maybe I, I would consider uh, looking at that and saying, maybe you know, maybe I would rather be cash here, even though cash is scary right now, right? You have all of this inflation that is by no means looking like it is slowing down. 
let's check in on the bond market. TL, I mean, this is crazy, guys. TLT is down, down three percent. There's nowhere to run to. There's nowhere to hide. You can go cash, but you're going to be losing money sitting in cash too. You can invest in the overall market, the S&P 500. You're going to be down 20% in that too. Um, let me see. I don't, I don't even know. I know for a I know for a second we were below that 20% point. I honestly don't know if we are anymore. Yeah, barely. We're still barely. Barely in that bear market territory, S&P 500 down 3%. And this is another uh, time where you can consider if you're basically the only, uh, if basically the only way you invest is buy and hold long investing, this shows you how, you know, on, on, a, on a cycle like this, where from January to June, we're now looking at the last six months. We haven't made a new high. We've been on the way down. We've had some of these bear, uh, or sorry, bear market kind of rallies, like right here in March when we rallied from you know the 420 levels back up to 462, gave up all those gains, rallied back up to around that 420 level, gave back all those gains, are making new lows. This is where you can kind of try to figure out next time this happens. Um, how can I position myself better to where my portfolio essentially doesn't just get wiped out 20%? You know, and maybe it's buying some way out of the money spy puts when, you know, we do get overextended and we're making new highs where it's like, okay, I'll buy these puts that are a month out. They're going to be down there. You know, the, the strike price is going to be 8% lower. So they're going to be way out of the money. They're going to be relatively cheap, maybe 300 bucks worth, worth. And then if we do get that market downturn, then you end up making some of that money back on those puts. So that way you're turning maybe what would have been a 20% loss in your, in your uh, buy and hold long portfolio into just a 15% loss or something. Um, and then uh, the ghost in the chat saying, don't hold your other option would be selling or selling some if you're expecting this downturn. But that's just tough because you really can't time these downturns, right? And that's why if you're doing the thing where you buy just a couple hundred bucks of SPY puts out of the money and the market goes up and then you lose the money on those puts, you're still making money because you're still net long. Um, yeah, the ghost. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you there where like if I was, I, I literally am holding zero crypto. Like I don't own any of Bitcoin, any Ethereum right now. That was not the case a couple months ago. I, I sold all of it. I was open on the show about when I did sell it just because of, of why I think I was taking in more and more of kind of information and media that made me reconsider my crypto stance and just figuring out like, okay, maybe this not only might not be, um, you know, a net positive right now for the economy, but also just the fact that uh, I think we could draw down another like 20, 30% is why I was selling that stuff. So we'll see. I mean, I think for, for most people that have been in crypto for a while, they know these downturns just come with the volatility inherent to Bitcoin, to Ethereum. This is not Bitcoin's first time um, drawing down more than 50% and nor will it be its last most likely. The question is what type of, uh, what type of investor do you want to be on Bitcoin? Do you want to be a long buy and hold investor? Do you want to be trading it? Um, so, you know, tough day today for and most crypto investors, most crypto holders, of course, uh, tough day for Michael Saylor over at MicroStrategy. Let's check in on MicroStrategy. Down 23% today. 
Um, and looking at an ugly chart, I mean, wow, look at this. So this one, we were trading right around 135 for a while, years and years and years. You can see just this huge, huge leg up. February 2021 got to highs of, I don't even know if this is right. This is saying more than a thousand. This is saying more than $1,300 a share came crashing down. We are back now at those um, basically levels we were at years ago. So we were at, we're at 155 a share. The last time we were down there was November 2020. Whew. I remember seeing guys that... Uh, that the that Michael Saylor's like margin call price for Bitcoin was in the mid twenty thousands. Does anyone know off the top of their head what that number is, and is he getting margin called? Because I I kept seeing on Twitter that if Bitcoin got to like twenty four thousand, Michael Saylor was getting margin called, and he was gonna have to uh, liquidate essentially a bunch of his Bitcoin holdings. Um. And then let me know in the chat what else you guys are watching today. I've been watching the airlines because I do think that the airlines get interesting at some point. Um, I mean, I know demand for travel is going to be down as inflation keeps rising and people have um, less expandable, expendable income. But um, my whole thesis has been that over the past couple weeks that the rise in 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 flight prices uh, that the flight companies have been able to essentially pass this added cost off to the customers um now i don't know for sure how true that is obviously if i if i knew one way or the other that that the airlines have been actually holding up pretty decent then you know um i'd be calling buying calls and stuff into their earnings i just think that um some of them i mean some of these airlines like like look like american airlines right now uh is trading at 13 dollars we have to go back to here's like the covid crash got back got all the way down to below ten dollars but i mean still this thing was trading at 25 bucks not too long ago a year ago 25 bucks and now it's down to 13 like i don't think american airlines is going anywhere let's check back in on Redbox. i mean this is insane up another 30 percent today guys Guys, this this stock is getting bought out at sixty cents a share. Sixty cents. I we talked about this last Friday, um, and I remember saying like I wouldn't I wouldn't get short this year, but I wouldn't buy this year because you know more and more people are going to see this up near twenty bucks and want to pile in the short trade. And that's exactly why people are buying it because of how many people are short it and basically just betting that there's going to be enough people coming in here and buying it, even though it's undoubtedly just overextended, overvalued, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it's really the only like meme stock running today. Look, GameStop down 8%, AMC down 8%. Um, what, what, what are our other our other big meme stocks? Costs down 8%, but not Redbox. Redbox is uh, probably your best performer today out of any stock out there. Just goes to show you. Uh, catching up on the chat. Uh, crypto, the, the only is saying Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, etc. Like, holy moly. Not to mention my Luna loss not long ago. Crypto has been brutal recently. I'm looking to get some positions all the way to the bottom, wherever that is. Yeah, and that's that's the problem is it's it's tough because we, we want to come in and buy the bottom every time, right? We want to be able to say, okay, 
Um, looking at Bitcoin on, on the daily chart here, if, if we zoom out that, okay, this is going to be the bottom. Uh, I'm going to come in and buy it. But the problem is, is that a lot of people, you do that, you buy the dip. And then if you dip down another 20%, what are you going to do there? So that's why right now I'm, I'm more cash than I typically am. Um, not just for the crypto markets, but for the overall markets. The question is, will will crypto survive? Yeah, I mean, and, and maybe the answer is that it survives, but that the industry just looks a lot different than it does right now. Born to be free. Have a good class, brother. The ghost. Yeah, I'm going to have some guests on coming on. Matt Hammond's going to join us in a few minutes. Then after that, Jake Wu Jastic at 1.30. But um, yeah, I mean, I've been, uh, we've been chilling. We've, we've been doing well without without Spence. Uh, the other thing I wanted to look at today was oil and gas stocks. So for the first time, finally, uh, we're getting this little minor sell-off, right? I want to look at drip. Up more than 10% today. This is your direction daily S&P oil gas bear. So as the oil, as oil and gas stocks go down, drip goes up. Drip getting some love down here. We're looking at the daily chart. We've had like four green candles in a row. I actually bought some of this last week um, just because I do think some of these, whether you're looking at Exxon, whether you're looking at Chevron, are getting overextended. Uh, and as we worry more and more about uh, an actual recession, oil and gas is not going to be immune to that. Every time, um, right, that we've, we've gotten an overall recession, whether oil and gas has been seen as kind of a flight to safety or not, we can go back to, uh, you know, 07, 08. Hold on, let's go to a monthly chart here. Just to show you guys. I mean, look, this is what Chevron did in 08. Look at this. Went from 100 bucks a share down to 60. People were still buying gas, just not as much. And they couldn't charge as much for gas. So it's 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 tough. I don't think, uh, you know, if we are heading towards recession, to think that Chevron and Exxon are going to be your saviors, that you can just fly to safety in those, I don't think it's true. I think as gas prices are elevated, um, you know, these companies are going to do really well, make a lot of money. The next time these companies report earnings, it, it's going to be ter it's going to be great for these companies. They're going to report them their best quarters ever because people are buying gas and gas is like twice as much as it was a year ago. So we're going to be making twice as much money. Chevron and Exxon, I mean, they have added costs just like every other company. They're getting hit by inflation too, but they have pricing power. Gasoline has such an inelastic demand, meaning that people are going to buy it even if the price goes up, that as the price goes up to $5, people are still going to go out and buy it, even if it should be $3.50. So that means if you consider, if you take into all the added production costs that these companies are dealing with, say, say the real rate should have been, okay, maybe they need to charge gas 15% more so it would bring gas from $3.50 to $3.90. Well, instead, they can get away with just charging five bucks because people are going to buy it anyway. If you think that that you know Chevron and Exxon are setting these gas prices at the cheapest possible price they can to still be profitable, you're dead wrong. They're putting the price at where they can know they can make the most money, and it it might not be they, the prices might keep going up until people finally say enough is enough. 
Uh, Hot Dog Jones saying he just get he's just getting here. How's Bitcoin doing? Well, we're down twelve and a half percent on the day, which is not what you want to see. But I'm gonna play. Uh, we'll play some glass half full here. Let me get my chart refreshed. Looking at the five minute chart, glass half full is at least for the past hour or so we've stopped going down. Right, we got down to these levels below. Oh shoot. What just happened there? And we're on five-minute candles here. Um, we got to these levels around below 23,000. Uh, we've came back up above that 23,000 level. So just like with the S&P 500 or any of the other major indices that we could look at today, I would just be watching for that bottom of the day. Are we taking that bottom of the day out? Or are we making higher lows? Because if we're making higher lows... Um, I'm not going to say, oh my God, that's a bullish sign for Bitcoin, go buy it. But at least that might may take some fear out of the market. Because right now, um, that's just what's driving the market is fear. Look at the VIX, up nine, up nine, more than 9% today. Well, the, the VXX, uh, VIX short-term futures ETN. Oh, guys, give me one second. Hello? Uh, no, I didn't. I've been live on the show. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll text them right now. Got it. Will do. No problem. That was uh, Mr. Raz trying to, to arrange me a good crypto guest, potentially Steve Ehrlich, the uh, CEO of Voyager. All right, guys, uh, I do see our first guest, Matt Hammond, hanging out in the backstage. So Matt is going to run us through some IPOs. Matt's been real busy. Um, so let's go ahead and give Matt our special intro, and bring him on the show. Matt Hammond, how you doing today? Uh-oh, I don't know if we're getting audio from you. Give me give us one second. We're going to get Matt back in a second. Um, yeah, let's... Can yep. You hear me All right. Now? We got you now. Got you now. Yeah. Got audio. All right. Yeah. Doing pretty well. Um, we had uh, not a lot of action in actual IPOs, but we are getting a lot of, um, you know, we talked about the LPX, the lockup expiration play. Um, and we had quite a week last week. So we can talk a little bit about those as well. Um, but uh, the lockup expiration, as we've talked about, is when an IPO happens, there's a certain number of shares that get locked up. And there's a phenomenon that we've noticed, especially with the low float kind of lesser known companies that are brought to market with underwriters that are kind of, you know, third tier. They're not Morgan Stanley or JP, uh, you know, JP Morgan. They're not Goldman Sachs. Uh, they're not Citibank or Bank of America. These are uh, underwriters like uh, Maxim Group, 
uh, Bosted Securities, Network One Financial, Aegis Capital, um, EF Hutton. Uh, there's kind of a there's there's a long list of them, and they bring a lot of different companies uh, that usually go live with you know two million or four million shares. They're often priced at four or five dollars, so they're kind of a mixed bag offering. And the low float sometimes produces you know a huge squeeze off of the debut. Um, and you know we certainly look for those and the ones that have some kind of ties to China. Often we see go on some insane runs. We're talking about plays like JCSE. Uh, OST. Those are some of the recent ones that really uh, went crazy right out of the gate. Others, like we saw last week, sort of on the surface look like they might be stealth IPOs. And then we can see both through the uh, allocation sizes and definitely in the pre-debut indication, uh, we can get kind of tipped off to the fact that they're not and avoid those as well. So that's what we're looking for the IPO plays. But then, you know, 90 days later, 180 days later, insiders shares get unlocked uh, the lockup periods expire and we often see headlines kind of coordinated with those events that send the share price of these stocks ripping and um, i'm always on the look for those there's different strategies for playing those uh, one is to kind of accumulate down at the bottom and then just sit and wait for them to run other strategies are to look for the headlines you know and try to catch them you know off the initial pop and then based on what the exercise prices are on those lockups, uh, kind of see those as targets. Uh, but we'll get to those kind of in a little bit. First, I want to just talk about what happened last week. So last week, you know, again, I'm going to say no one to walk away, no one to run. Uh, go on to the Kenny Rogers song. You know, this is gambling to some extent. We're trying to make it educated gambling. Uh, but you got to recognize when uh, the setup isn't what you're looking for and when to back off playing an IPO debut. And this was a perfect example. This was Phoenix Motors. Uh, it had a lot of markings of a stealth IPO. Uh, it had an underwriter that has done many IPOs that have you know, turned out to have some stealth element to them. That was uh, Aegis Capital. And they actually switched out from having Roth, Maxim, and EF Hutton as the underwriters and downsized the IPO significantly. They removed the warrants. Um, they do have an executive board that you know, clearly indicates some ties to China. Uh, so there was, you know, this was certainly on watch for a stealth IPO, but when they priced it at 750, uh, and reduced the share count to 2.1 million shares from 2.5 million shares, we're already starting to look a little bit, you know, uh, cockeyed at this one. And then they gave full allocations on the Weeble offerings. That's almost never a good sign for an IPO debut. Uh, if, and, and that, that's something to really think about when you're making a bid for, IPO shares through Webull or Click IPO, one of these platforms, any of these platforms that go direct to retail, is it's a very dangerous kind of move to put in a large allocation request because if it's, you know, if it's one of these IPOs that really rips, they almost never give you a full allocation. Uh, so, you know, there's no point in asking for two thousand shares because of you know or two thousand dollars worth of stock because if it's a good one, they're only going to give you ten or twenty shares. Um, but if it's a bad one, then they're going to fill your whole request. Uh, so if you're going to do the, the IPO allocation requests on Webull, uh, I highly recommend you go pretty small because if it's good, they're not going to give you a lot anyway. And if it's bad, uh, they're going to give you more than, more than you really want. Um, the next thing we're looking for is that, so they priced at 750 and then the indication was actually showing an open at around 350. 
360, like way down, less than half of the IPO price. I mean, that's terrible. Um, then right before it went live, uh, they pulled the indication price up to 650. Um, typically, uh, or at least my belief is that the underwriter is stepping in to protect the price. And when you see that, if you did get an IPO allocation, it's probably a good time to just get out right on the opening print, you know, take the, the paper cut instead of the, um, you know, the uh, right. concussion. And uh, this one just, you know, down into a halt. Uh, I think it halted again on the way down. And you can try to find a little bounce play here. Sometimes these do reverse, but those are, I mean, those are really for the stealth IPOs that where we see a big reversal back up. Um, Meihua, which was also handled by the same underwriter, did produce kind of a downward halt and then went uh, significantly higher. But uh, that wasn't the case here. And I tried to catch a reversal and ended up getting out right where I got back in. Um, and otherwise, this one, and I, and I still have the IPO allocation. It wasn't a huge allocation, but, um, you know, it is a weird IPO. It could run in the, at another time, but I don't particularly like this stock uh, in general. And uh, it's one of the worst IPOs I've seen in a long time to debut at 750 they didn't even, you know, do to retail the courtesy of pricing it at like four dollars or five dollars. They priced it way up at seven fifty, and it's now trading, I think, at like three ten or something like that. So it was a bad one. Uh, we did sniff out that it was not a stealth IPO in time to avoid taking any kind of large position on it, and um, you know, now we look for the next one, and I believe we might have one coming up, um, and we'll talk about that one in a second. So let's move on to the IPOs that are on the calendar for this week. Um, this week we have two. One is Heart Test Laboratories. That's ticker HSCS. It's a pretty small float, although there are warrants involved. So 1.75 million units. I don't really love it when there's warrants involved because the warrants account for uh, the day, you know, get accounted into the debut price. So if we have the IPO price at say four dollars, then it's you know when you have a unit involved or when you have a warrant involved, it's probably not even gonna debut trading at $4. It'll debut trading at like $3.25 with the warrant being priced in at about $0.75. Cents. Um, so you're almost always starting psychologically down uh, when there's a unit involved. Uh, the company itself does a cardiac diagnostics test, uh, which is kind of an enhanced ECG device, uh, which incorporates AI uh, to in analyze the data. And the data that is currently obtained through a more invasive test is able to be obtained, you know, with a less invasive test. So uh, I would imagine that that's an improvement, uh, safer, less costly. And, um, you know, okay, so decent story, not exciting enough for me to think that people are going to pile into it on the debut just on the story. And the reason they're seeking funding is to bring this through FDA clearance. Since it's a device, you're talking about a 501k which typically is far more um, predictably positive than, um, you know, going for a, you know, for a drug compound or, a, um, you know, any kind of medical, any kind of uh, medicine is going to be a far more difficult FDA and longer and more costly FDA process than, uh, than a device. So one of the things that puts this on watch for me is that this is the same underwriter, the benchmark company that did AERC. Uh, we'll talk about AERC in a minute. Uh, AERC went on a huge run last week. AERC also went on a huge run off of the IPO. 
AERC went live the day before Thanksgiving, which is like a shortened trading day and was very suspicious when it went live. It had a very small float on the IPO. I think it was like a million shares. And it priced the IPO at 10 and then debuted at 40 and then ran up just halt, 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 halt. I mean, it went up through like five or six halts over a hundred dollars on the, you know, on the IPO day traded around kind of up and down from 60 to 90 um, over the next few days and then just dropped out and was sitting down at something like, um, you know, just over a dollar or $2 at the end of uh, two weeks ago. And then last week, as we'll see in a second, I- I'll save that for a second, but because the benchmark company did AERC and because this is very similar in the sense that it's a medical device seeking FDA clearance, Um, This one will be an interesting one, at the very least, to put on kind of a long-term watch list and possibly something to see if um, the benchmark company gets into any kind of shenanigans like they did with AERC to see if there's super low volume on the debut, whether they choke the volume and cause kind of a a liquidity event um, to... Uh, to spike this on the debut, but I'm going to move on to that one. And, and we can talk a little bit about AERC after I talk about intelligent living group. So sounds good. Okay. Intelligent living group. The reason this is interesting is because it's a Chinese company, um, selling, uh, locks to the U S that's not exciting at all. Um, <clears throat> they're raising capital to diversify market penetration, Um, But this is another one of those. We talked about this before with PEV. When an IPO is just so bad uh, and it has ties to China and the underwriters are one of the usual suspects, it really starts screaming uh, stealth IPO. That it's not on any of the main IPO calendars, even the NASDAQ calendar is not showing this right now. That also to me shows, hey, it's not in the Webull IPO list. It's kind of like they're trying to get to market here without people really noticing it. And that's something that we've noticed, you know, that we've seen again and again with the stealth IPOs. Uh, even the financials in the F1 filing are only you know, are comparing 2019 financials to 2018, which is, you know, three years out of date. That's kind of ridiculous. So revenue growth uh, down 22 percent in 2019 versus 2018. That means nothing. I mean, quite a quite a lot has happened on the, uh, you know, geofinancial scale since then uh covid war uh, chinese lockdowns i mean supply chain issues uh gross profit down 14 percent uh on 10 percent gross margins so basically i can't really say that those financials mean anything uh negative cash flow negative net income negative operating profit you just kind of wonder what are they thinking you think people really want to buy this ipo right now um I don't think that it's to the extent that people are interested in 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 this company. It's nothing to do with the company itself. What is interesting is the underwriter is Network One Financial. So Network One Financial has done quite a few stealth IPOs uh, in 2020, 2021. Um, I forget the specific list, but anytime they bring something to the table, it just reeks of, you know, potential stealth IPO. So. This one, I believe, is on for Wednesday. If it is, I will be watching it very closely. And what I'm looking for is for it to price at around $5 and for it to debut somewhere in the kind of $10 to $15 range. If it prices above that, then I can't touch it. It's, you know, we've seen stealth IPOs that open 
above 20, above 30, even above $40 after pricing the IPO at five. If you've got a garbage company with 5 million shares pricing their IPO at $5 and debuting at $40, uh, it's ridiculously risky. And AERC was not really a stealth IPO, but it's the only one I've seen uh, open up that high and then continue upward. All the rest that opened that high have just dumped. And uh, you really want to be careful about that. If it does give you an upside, it's so, you know, you've already, you've already taken it, I mean, what is it already up 900%? That's where these generally have peaked out. OST, which gave us a really nice entry. I think it priced at four, opened at 11 and ran up as high as 44 by the end of the day. I mean, 44 is where you want to get to after opening at 10 to 15. You don't want to start there or you're just going to get burned on, you know, on the open. So that's what I'm looking for on ILAG. Uh, it does kind of look, smell, I mean, it looks like a prototypical uh, stealth IPO. Uh, for me, the only real question is, do we get a debut price that gives us an opportunity to take it on the opening trade? And that is the move. If you want to get in on this, if you want to ride the halts up, uh, you're setting a limit order just above the indication price. So if the indication price is showing like 13, put your, you know, your buy, your limit order, put your order in it just above that by about, you know, a dollar or 50 cents. And another note, don't go big on these. For these to work, the volume has to be somewhere around 100,000 shares on the opening print. Uh, if it's higher than that, if you go in and try to buy 10,000 shares, you're going to pump the debut price up to a point where, um, you know, it's no longer a play. Once it's over about 15 or $16, I think it's very risky to go, you know, above that over 20 is really where I just hard, you know, hard line say, well, if it goes up from here, I missed it, but I'm out. So $15, sort of the sweet spot. If you get in below that, uh, you know, great. They've given us some, you know, they've left a little extra meat on the bone. Uh, if it prices at $5 and debuts at four or five or six, well, might not have been what we were looking for anyway. So I'll be watching this one closely. This one to me is the IPO uh, of the two that I'm most interested in. Having said that, uh, the benchmark company has done some interesting things with IPOs. So worth watching that one as well. And then the last thing I want to kind of, uh, I've alluded to a couple times on the show, and I think people will be pretty interested in is the kind of uh, the string of recent IPOs that ran last week. We're talking about AERC was really the big monster um, of, you know, of last week's performers. It went as high as I think 18 today. And it started at uh, 237. Um, just, you know, you look, I'm going to bring up the chart here. So what happened here? Well, their, their lockup expiration was, you know, in May. So in May, we started putting them on watch for any kind of headline, uh, thinking, okay, well, you know, if they're going to rip this, they're going to do it. You know, they, they probably timed it or the hypothesis is that they've timed it so that insiders will be able to capitalize on this, uh, you know, whatever catalyst they're able to come up with. So one of the things that I'm always thinking about is what are the exercise prices on AERC? Uh, the IPO was priced at 10. Uh, they had a 125% of the IPO price uh, lockup. So 1250 was kind of the target, uh, that, you know, that, you, that you're looking for if you're seeing, okay, well, I believe the EPs exercise prices are involved with this whole, you know, setup. Well, on the sixth, we saw a headline that their kind of lead device got FDA approval and it went up from, you know, closed the day before around 2.30 and it ran, I mean, to four, I think four, eight, 
you know, top 520 in uh, after hours of day one. You're thinking, damn, that's over 100%. That's, that was an awesome play. That's the play. Um, but if you're kind of familiar with these plays and you have an eye on the EP, you think, well, this is just the start of a multi-day run and the target really should be kind of 1250. As ridiculous as that sounds, um, that's what we were talking about in, um, in, uh, in our trading group. And sure enough, the next day we saw 1250, uh, topped out at 14, actually, um, end of day, top 15. And then it mellowed out for a couple of days. Uh, heard people saying it's a liquidity trap. Other people pointing out that there's more uh, share lockups up around 20 and that this is headed for 20. Uh, hard to say, very hard to make this trade. And I mean, if you didn't, if you were in early and you didn't sell out at 15, you might be kicking yourself when it's down here, you know, at eight or nine again. Um, if you're really patient, I mean, I don't know how you hold through that, but uh, if you did, you know, congratulations, you just banged a, um, I don't know, what is that, 700%? Um, so AERC was certainly one that uh, kind of took the cake. Another one, uh, HTCR lockup was, um, expiration was uh, in May, and it had not done well off the IPO. Uh, this one, I think, debuted around... I want to say 550 or something like that. It was a both said securities and it had just gotten slammed and it was down at like a dollar two, dollar three. One of the headlines that's been kind of working for these recently has been to announce a share buyback. Uh, I think in the last two weeks, I've seen more recent IPOs announce share buybacks than I ever really you know, recall seeing before. Uh, and they don't even have to actually do the share buyback. The board just approves the company to buy, in this case, 3.5 million shares uh, or $3.5 million worth of shares. In this case, the when they announced it, the stock was trading around a dollar, five dollar, potentially up to th- you know 3.5 million shares on a company whose float is um, you know 3.5 million shares. And reportedly, this had been uh, shorted quite a bit. The borrow rates on this had been you know between 30 and 60 percent. And you can see that there was quite a big squeeze from a dollar to three, basically 320 uh, in one day. It's since come down a little bit, but it's held in this kind of VWAP zone from day one, um, which was at around 242. It's held that mark. So people are talking liquidity trap. Um, you know, maybe this goes higher from here. EPs were up at, I think, 450 and 550. So this might still have room to run. Um, Again, if you're in here and you, you caught that run, certainly want to take profits on the way up. You can get back in if you feel like it's bottomed out run. But HTCR, another one that uh, that gave us a um, you know gave us a run uh, on a headline. Another one, two others that were less uh, pronounced, but still. And this is where like the value of the headline can matter, uh, or at least I believe so. Um, get my notifications from Benzinga. And this is where I get, um, I do get my notifications from Benzinga Pro. It's a great platform for catching these. What I'm using is the scanner in the morning. Um, and sometimes the spike in the price will show up even before the headline uh, shows up on BZ. And that's no knock on BZ, but I can pick up that initial move uh, with BJDX. Um, I have been watching this for a while and the move was actually here. But if you caught that, there was a there was kind of an initial, you know, the headline was in the morning 
And there was time to get in at about a dollar thirty-five before it moved up to a dollar ninety-five. And because I am familiar with this ticker as a recent low float IPO that actually ran pretty hard on the opening, um, there was actually, uh, I guess it didn't run as much as I remember or thought I remembered. Anyway, this one, uh, this one gave a pretty nice win opportunity if you had accumulated. This strategy on this one was to accumulate going into the LPX. And I know that a lot of people in my group or in our group, it's actually Allie, uh, Fit Trader Girls group, Trading Fit Girl, sorry. She is probably the master of the LPX play. And, um, you know, they were accumulating down at 90, a dollar, uh, knowing that LPX was going to produce something or feeling that it would. And it started walking here. They started sensing something would happen. And the next morning, you know, you're talking about 100% win if you got in from 90 and up to out of 180. So that was a nice setup there. Uh, this one might not be done. It's come back down. The news was only FDA kind of approving de novo uh, pathway to certification. So they still have certification on the horizon. That could be a while. It's a diagnostic test, though. It's not a, you know, a treatment. So uh, that could come sooner rather than later. And the last one I want to look at is MTech. This one also did a run last week. And this one was basically just a combination of um, they announced a share buyback on June 1st, and that gave a little bit of a spike here from about $1.10 to $1.40, and that kind of wore off. Share buybacks, um, to me, seem like a bit contrived. Like I said, they don't have to actually go through and buy you know a bunch of shares. If they do, of course, that will, you know, put demand forces on the on the share price and and, and push the price up um, maybe we saw some of that we don't I don't know for sure because they didn't announce a closing of the buyback um, but then they followed up with a you know three hundred thousand dollar contract award from an Israeli defense company and that shot the price up to a dollar sixty I actually had been sitting on this one at about a dollar fifteen from way before um, and kind of the ship finally came in on this one for me so Happy to get out in at a dollar fifteen. Out, of, I think I got out at a dollar sixty-five. Um, if that's even possible, it's a dollar fifty-five. Um, yeah, so took some profits there. So I like these lockup plays when I'm not trading, when there aren't IPOs to trade, when the market's kind of um, given me uh, seasickness with its up and downs, and every time there's CPI data or inflation data, it seems like the market just gets creamed. I just can't sit in anything long-term, like, you know, 2000, even like before that 2017, 2018, it felt like, okay, there's opportunities that I believe I see uh, that give upside. I'm just kind of investing, you know, picking up, adding to my positions as things go up. And uh, that's not the market I see right now. I don't know that we've hit the bottom. I don't know when the bottom will come in. Uh, I realize that I'm really not good at picking that, you know, when that event is going to happen. And I don't really want to tie up my funds in the meantime. So what I'm doing is I am watching Benzinga Pro, and I'll just show you guys kind of, it's the, I think just the default setting. I turn off the chat, no offense to the community, but uh, for me, I'm looking at seven o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, I'm watching what's moving in pre-market. And when I see something jump, you know, between 10 and 20%, anything kind of in the pre-market, you won't see so many up, um, but I'm quickly, 
kind of referencing what is the move? Why is this? Is there is was just somebody slapped the ask and set the price up or is there really, you know, some volume? And if there is, then I'm looking at the headline and I'm trying to catch the news within about five minutes of when the initial run happens. If I see something, you know, a, a big catalyst like AERC and I'm like, oh, yeah, that one ripped hard off the IPO. I know it's a low float. Wow. FDA clearance. That's you know, that's a good opportunity. Um, others, you know, you have to kind of, I think it was COGT, Cognitive Therapeutics, the other day. That one didn't move all that much on the headline, but it was uh, positive results. Um, you know, it's a biotech. You know, they got some positive uh, positive results in. Not FDA approval, but it did run from about 550 to over 10 uh, in that day. So I'm looking for, this is how I'm using Benzinga. Uh, pro to, uh, you know, to find these opportunities. And when I see a name that I recognize as a recent low float IPO, that to me is a golden opportunity. That's like, okay, this, you know, if it hasn't, if it hasn't really had any kind of run before, you know, since the IPO, then you're not going to have, you're gonna have some bag holders from the IPO. But you're not going to have a lot of overhead uh, pressure of sellers. And there probably aren't a lot of shares available for shorts to pressure it down. And that's when I'm looking quickly check, you know, get myself in, uh, check where the EPs are, the exercise price on any outstanding uh, warrants or locked up shares. And that's kind of becomes my target. If I'm in pre-market, I'll kind of watch for what looks like a peak, maybe take a quick scalp and re-enter. But this is where I'm getting, you know, there, there are two, at least two approaches to trading these recent low float IPOs. The first one being um, just accumulate down, you know, when things get really low. Um, if it's a $5 IPO and it's down at $1.20 going into lockup expiration. Okay. You know, if you, if you can foresee some cattle potential catalysts, um, then maybe that's the right time to, uh, to start building a position and you just sit and wait for that move. Uh, the other move is to kind of wait for it to pop and then try to get it on the begin, you know, on the beginning of a run. Uh, like AERC or even HTCR. So that's what I got for you, Aaron. Um, those are my ideas. Those are uh, where I'm going with this. And uh, we are doing pretty detailed analysis of these, both the IPOs and the LPX plays in the newsletter that me and Ali are doing through IPOWarriors.com. So if you sign up for the newsletter at IPOWarriors.com, you will get the recap of the previous week's performers and a forecast of what we're looking at for this week. So uh, sign up for the newsletter. Uh, be smart when you're trading. This is not financial advice, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's what I got for you, Aaron. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I think yourself, Matt, and as well as the rest of the IPO, IPO Warriors team, one of the best places to go uh, if you're interested in trading some of these I IPOs. Um, I will take this time to mention, since you have your Benzinga Pro pulled up, pro.benzinga.com or hit the link in the description to sign up for a free two-week trial. No credit card needed, so you can just try it out for a couple weeks, see if it's something that may help your trading. Um, but Matt, always appreciate you coming on. Uh, thank you again. Cool. Thanks, Aaron. Have a good week. You do the same. Bye-bye. All right, guys, that was Matt Hammond from IPOWarriors.com. I'll go ahead and drop that link in the chat. You can also go give Matt a follow 
on Twitter. Uh, sign up for that newsletter. Um, all right, guys. So while Matt was going, I was checking up on the overall market, seeing kind of what action we're having. I'm going to go ahead and pull my Benzinga Pro up. Qs were still down about 3.5%, so no crazy rally to speak of. But, uh, and again, you know, just trying to be a uh, glass half full. It seems as though for at least now, for the time being, we have stopped going down. Um, we haven't really come close to testing those lows back here um, on the Qs of, let's see. Why can't I see? All right, so we got down to lows of around 275. We're currently around 280. Uh, so about four or five bucks off those lows. Um, let's go check in on the S&P. Probably pretty similar. Yep, we, we've came off those lows, but, you know, nothing to, nothing to get excited about. I'm not saying we should all be pumped about this, but, um, you know, I'm going to be worried again if we come back down to these lows the day and test those or fall through them. Um, going around some of the bigger names, Tesla down four, whoa, Tesla down 4.7%. Tesla's well off its lows. Tesla got down to around 645 today and is now trading uh, precariously close to that 666 level. So we'll see there. Going over to Apple real quick. Apple down 2%. Amazon is really one of your biggest laggards today as far as big mega cap tech goes. Amazon down five, more than 5%. Um, let's let's zoom out on the dailies here and just look at Amazon and look at this move that it's made both into and then after it's split, right? You had this little pop, which was coincided with some strength in the overall market and overall tech. Um, but there was a lot of speculation that people were coming in and buying this before the split. And then we got the split and now Amazon sold off another like 10% since then. So I don't know. I mean, if Amazon keeps dropping, if Amazon goes below 100 bucks a share, that's going to be interesting uh, as far as a long-term investment. I do think, like I said at the top of the show, a lot of these big tech uh, or big cap tech names really have some more to fall potentially. So um, we shall see. I Let's go ahead and pull up my man, uh, Jake Wujastic, hanging out backstage, see what charts Jake's been looking at. Um, and see uh, see what he's got for us. Mr. Wujastic, how's it going? How's it going? Doing well. How are you? I, I'm good. I mean, I had a good weekend, chilling Monday so far. But, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd hope for the markets to be hanging out a little bit better than they are. But it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, crypto crypto gave some uh, clues this weekend where we may uh, end up today. So um, not not incredibly shocked uh, with, with the move down, especially, you know, a lot of charts are just kind of playing out. And uh, a lot of these, uh, these zones below are, are being hit. So, you know, I think kind of things going as planned as far as just uh, the trends are concerned. We, you know, we undercut the previous lows from, from May 20th and uh, seems like we're maybe catching a little bit of a bid here. I mean, I'd be shocked, honestly, if we didn't bounce somewhat. I mean, you know, a lot of people forget that, you know, in order to make money on the short side, you still have to, to realize your gains. You have to buy those shares back. So, you know, after pretty much four da days of straight down, um, it would kind of make sense for some artificial demand to come in at least 
i.e. just those shorts uh, covering uh, for at least the short term. We'll see what happens in you know, the longer term over the next you know, couple of weeks. But you know, all in all, this is, this is kind of right where I would have expected a, a, a bounce here. This is just a, a pretty classic trend zone that um, you know, has a lot of touches, right? So like there's been a lot of times where the price action has tested this and it's essentially taking two trend lines. So you're taking this trend line right here, which technically starts about right here. But then you can see here that this secondary trend line, this uh, smaller line here, actually captures some of these secondary kind of bounces a little higher than, than the wicks that we're kind of measuring here. So that's why I have this trend line that kind of goes back all the way to here, because you can see how many times this area has been tested as well. So, you know, I'm always looking for a zone that is tested as many times as possible. So in this case, you can see here's your first test here on the top part of the zone. And you've got like four different candles tested here. You've got another candle that tested here. You've got quite a few candles that test this area here. So actually, you know, this smaller line here is, is probably the stronger zone. And then this thicker line at the bottom that's connecting essentially this wick right here to this wick right here uh, is kind of your, your capitulation uh, trend line where you, you've had some pretty important reversals. So wouldn't shock me to see, uh, you know, see a reversal here, at least in the short term. Uh, you you kind of have a, a decent kind of abandoned baby uh, forming here on the daily chart, which is just pretty much a doji after a huge gap down. Uh, so all in all, you know, I, I would argue that we're probably in for at least a little bit of a short term bounce this week, uh, maybe a little bit of a turnaround Tuesday. But, you know, it's just not the same. Uh, it's not the same style as we had before. Right. You're not going to have the Fed come out tomorrow and say, oh, yeah, we're not going to lower rates. Uh, or we're not going to raise rates as much as we were planning. They can't. They have to because prices are at this point out of control. So that's that's what they don't have this time around, where they can't just kind of come back and say, "Yeah, we, we were going to raise rates uh, next meeting, but we're we're not this time." You know, this is kind of like I don't want to say unprecedented because this type of inflation has happened before, but it's been a very long time. And honestly, I don't even think the the inflation numbers are exactly correct. I mean. I think they're much higher, um, but they've got all types of little, you know, calculations that, that make inflation not as uh, bad as it as it looks. But uh, it's it's pretty much out of control at this point. Everybody knows it. Um, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't have these short term bounces and all of that. You know, the trend is still much lower. Um, so the trend is, you know, I, I could see, you know, us kind of even getting down to the three. 45 to 355 area below here, um, you know, if this plays out over the next month and a half or so. Um, and then on the monthly chart, you'll see here that we are starting to move down to this trend zone below. Uh, and this is really where you do want to start uh, zooming out because these short term levels are are really important for day trading. But if you want to get an idea of the overall trend and the overall longer term levels, you know, this, this trend on below has been a pretty important level. So you can see it here, 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 uh, you know, the code, the COVID uh, drop here does invalidate the line, but yeah, that was such a, that was such kind of a kind of freak event that sometimes I will kind of discount something like this. Especially. Right. Kind of just an anomaly. It's not really part of the overall trend. 
Yeah, and so you can see here, you know, this would this would kind of fall into that thesis of you know 345 to 355 below. So um, you do have some of these shorter term and longer term timeframes aligning around 350, 355, but you also see a lot of people talking about 350s uh, coming next, which uh, if everyone's talking about it, it's generally, you know, maybe over time will happen, but I don't think it's going to happen, you know, this week. I think we're probably due for at least uh, a couple day bounce here and then we'll just reevaluate from there. But we are starting to get down to these longer term levels uh, that, that have been important in the past uh, as far as a diagonal zone is concerned. And then, you know, we did fill a pretty important gap on the daily for the queues. Um, so we pretty much gapped right into this November 2020 gap uh, after the elections. So you can see here, we literally just filled, filled it perfectly. We bounced a little higher than the trend zone uh, that I have drawn here. And, um, you know, we're, we're getting a decent bounce so far. So, and again, we have two huge gaps above. I would be shocked if we didn't fill this first gap uh, at some point this week. But, um, you know, that's... That's all you can really do in this market. You can take it, you know, a few days at a time and then you have to reevaluate. And that's that's really generally how you have to look at the markets. But in this particular type of volatility market, you really, you know, people will ask, what do you think uh, this is going to be by next week? I have no idea. I, I can barely tell you what's going to happen uh, <laughs> in five minutes. So right. um, it's just you have to look at these overall longer term zones. Um, so. You know, as I mentioned, Bitcoin was kind of uh, Bitcoin and crypto in general were kind of your your red flags this weekend. Um, I thought this was kind of funny, and I it is kind of an interesting coincidence. Every time you've got one of these big conferences, consensus was uh, this weekend. You generally have these sell-offs. I don't know if it's just because you have a lot of liquidity coming in. People are like, "Oh, you know, I'm hanging out with all my Bitcoin friends. Let's all buy more together." and Someone takes that liquidity and just absolutely, you know, takes advantage of it to dump their shares uh, or in this case, their crypto coins or whatever we're calling them. <laughs> um, so. So, yeah, you know, this is kind of an interesting uh, correlation here with with the events that occur and, and, you know, some pretty big moves to the downside once into them and as they happen. Uh, but then if you look at the weekly chart, this was a uh, you know, this was a pretty ominous uh, setup going into the weekend. You had. Uh, price action around 29,000, 28,500, and you were really having no type of support here. Uh, the price just kept kind of dropping pretty quickly. So once we started to really break below this trend zone, uh, you know, the descending triangle was was definitely in play, and you had a pretty big flush over the last few days. Again, same thing for this thing. I wouldn't be shocked if we get back up to the 2018. Uh, VWAP. So that was kind of my original target that we talked about a couple weeks ago below. Um, and we broke right through it. I mean, there was just no liquidity there. And so you know, I would be shocked if we didn't move back up to at least this 25,500 to 26,000. And then from there, you know, that would essentially just be a retest of this previous level and, and we'll kind of go from there. But you know, I think I think uh, all of this just depends on how much liquidity there is in the market. You've got quantitative tightening, so you don't have the the Fed kind of uh, helping stabilize prices. You've got people on vacation. You don't have a lot of people trading right now. That also dries up liquidity. So liquidity is an issue um, a lot of the time. You know, in the summer, and a lot of the time. Uh, you know, it, it can be the opposite where there's not a lot of traders, but nobody is selling. So, you know, that small amount of demand is actually pushing up prices because you don't have a lot of supply here. 
it's the opposite. You don't have a lot of buyers. And uh, so, you know, you don't need a lot of sellers to drop the price uh, because they're just not, there's no demand below to absorb that, that supply coming on the market. So all in all, we're just in a pretty bad time uh, for liquidity uh, with everybody on vacation. I know people in Europe are like, yeah, I'm taking off for the next three months. See you in, at the end of August, you know? So um, it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely, I think a mix of obviously selling pressure, but also a lack of just buying in general. Um, yeah, and, and, I, and I, I think definitely with that, you know, I was talking about that earlier too, where it's just Wall Street, it doesn't stop during the summer, but maybe it's just a little bit slower than it typically is. So that might make some of these institutional investors just that much more patient, you know, where they're like, oh yeah, I don't mind sitting on my hands for these next couple months until the end of the summer, and then we'll reassess from there. Um, so definitely, you know, we're, we're seeing some of that. I feel like. Um, also, I do gotta say, Jake. Unfortunately, today we are gonna be a little short on time because we had a uh, we had a surprise guest edition last minute. We're actually having the the CEO of Voyager Digital Crypto right. Exchange on to uh, talk about what's going on with Bitcoin and the the crypto market. So I'm excited to hear hear his thoughts. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> how much time do we have left? We've got a few minutes. Um, he's set to join, you know, sometime in the next like five minutes or so. So let's just keep knocking through some charts, anything you're looking at, and I'll let you know when, when we got to run. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that I we talked a little bit about last week was, uh, you know, potentially oil topping out. Um, one thing I and and who knows, it could be, it could not be. I, I we'll see. But one thing that's kind of interesting here is uh, we do have what's called the pattern recognition on TrendSpider. Uh, which allows you to highlight different patterns. And so these patterns are literally coded in. So they're, they follow the exact rule. There's no like, oh, is that a shooting star? Is it not a shooting star? It's based on the exact rules that you know, make, make these patterns what they are. So what's interesting is notice that uh, when I turn on the shooting star pattern on the pattern recognition, this is the first shooting star weekly candle that we've had pretty much since the start of this huge move up in 2020. Uh, in October, which which we've had about a 240% move to the upside. Um, <clears throat> now, shooting star can easily be invalidated. Just because you have a shooting star, just because you have a hammer, doesn't necessarily mean that you are reversing or the trend is over. But uh, the way that you can kind of simply gauge this is if you if we pretty much break these highs in the shooting star and close above this previous close from last week, uh, as a, which is a part of this candle formation, then it's probably going to be invalidated. But until then, you know, this could be uh, this could be an area that we have, um, you know, that we we do have at least a medium term reversal. And then the last thing I'll touch on here is uh, Chevron. And this is a tool that a lot of people should check out. Um, it's and it's uh, it's just simply looking at the moving average distance um, from uh, from different uh, moving averages. In this case, it's the 200 week moving average. So pretty much you can see here, you know, in 2011, all the way up to about 2000, mid 2013, you had price pretty far above the, the 200 day, the 200 week moving average. And then you can see pretty much uh, when, when the price is at the moving average, that's when you're at zero. Anytime it's below it, that's when these red bars come in. So notice how far we are above the 200 day, the 200 week, excuse me, moving average at this point. The last time we were that high above it, we have to kind of scroll left and you'll see, uh, oops, I need to take this, 
extended over. So now we're just comparing the, the recent highs that we saw and seeing how far we have to go back until we had that, that far of a deviation from the 200 uh, week moving average. And you'll see it was right here in 2007. Now, what's interesting is notice that we just had these short -term, this short-term sell-off. We actually did continue higher and peaked uh, in, in 2019. But notice here, you can actually use this as divergence, right? You had higher highs on price, and then you had the price actually getting closer and closer to the 200 day as it as it caught up with that price action so you can actually use divergence with uh the percent change from the moving average so definitely check this out you know the last time that we had this type of move uh was back when we had a pretty big crisis not saying that's going to happen again this time but it is it is a good uh metric to look at when you are looking at uh markets how overextended they are yeah, 100%. I mean, I think a lot of people are looking at these oil and gas stocks, whether you're talking Chevron, whether you're talking Exxon and saying, okay, here's the strength. Like, I want to go to the strength. And at this point, you know, it's like, do you really want to buy something that could be potentially overextended by this much? Um, or you can go out and try, you know, I mean, it, it's it's kind of that big catch 22, that big conundrum. You can buy what's been strong or do you want to buy what's been weak and then hope that what's been weak, which has been in large part tech and growth, will will catch back up to and revert to the mean on everything else. So I don't know. I mean, there's certainly some attractive aspects about some of these oil and gas stocks, just the fact that they've been doing so well, they pay a good dividend. Um, you know, no one no one needs to tell you how expensive gas is right now. So you got to imagine all these companies are going to report great quarters. Um, but it's just, you know, I mean, I, I earlier w looked at Exxon or Chevron on a, on a, on like a monthly chart and you look back at what they did during 08, 09, it's not like these things are recession proof by any means. So, um, definitely I, I would just caution anyone out there trying to, trying to buy these stocks now when they're already been up 50, 60% over the last few months. Yeah. And you know, this is, this is an interesting one. Disney, I do like to track Disney um a lot i i, I kind of keep a close eye on it this would be an interesting uh this would be an interesting play you had the descending triangle breakdown you know the textbook essentially says we need to retest this um this previous support and then we'd continue down we have a march 2020 gap down here uh which which is all the way down around 87. um so you know we'll see what the the daily candle looks like but you know for now it possibly a decent little hammer forming but you can't really do anything with this until closer to the end of the day or at or pretty much at close um but a little a little interesting i i see that these terminologies completely messed up all the time so a lot of people look at pullbacks as a pull to you know pull back uh but actually this this is a pullback you break down below a, a zone and then you pull back to the support and then you continue down. So uh, a lot of people use the term pullback as a downside move, but a pullback technically, you know, as far as like CMT technology goes is, is actually when you retest to the upside, a previous level of, of support and now it acts as resistance. So just a little uh, fun fact there for the day, because I always used to use it the wrong way as well. Um, but we could oh, get wow. a pullback to this previous support and then continue down. But this is probably one that uh, we, we may be filling the gap to the upside uh, in the next couple of days, but we'll just have cool. to see. We'll, we'll have to revisit this next week. Um, 
Jake, always a pleasure to get you on. Everyone go check it check it out, trendspider.com. Uh, you can enter the promo code BZ25 to get 25% off. I'll go ahead and drop that link in the chat. Jake, thanks again. Yeah, man, absolutely. See ya. Talk soon. All right, y'all. I mentioned earlier we are lucky enough to get Mr. Steve Ehrlich, the CEO of Voyager Digital, coming on the show today. Great day to get Steve on to talk about what's going on in the crypto markets, what's going on with Bitcoin, kind of when can, um, you know, seeing what Steve is seeing because he's obviously got more insight than I do, being on the on the on the exchange side. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and give Steve our special intro and get Steve on the show. Steve, how's it going? Can you hear me? Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Yep. All right. So Steve's joining us from his phone in the car. So um, we're hoping that all audio and connectivity issues are good. Um, so Steve, t- tell me first of all, what's what's kind of top of mind for you right now with everything going on in the crypto uh, Bitcoin markets? Uh oh. Looks like we're having looks like we're having some trouble here, Steve, getting connected on the audio. Um, uh, someone in the chat's asking about Celsius. I do know that Voyager put out a notice today saying all. Uh, transactions and stuff are live. Nothing's halted yet. Steve, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? All right. I think Steve's going to try to hop back in and join in. Uh, if not, it sounds like we might be having some connectivity audio issues. We'll, we'll have to get Steve on us uh, on with us in a, in a couple days. Um, or maybe, here we go. Let's try this again. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. All right, perfect. So, yeah, I have a few quick minutes. I'm going through the back road. Oh, man, we had you, then we lost you. Let's give Steve another minute here. Yo, our, our platform is working just as normal. Uh, we have, you know, we, we, our partnership with Celsius ended uh, a while ago. Uh, so our customers' assets are safe and we're processing everything uh, as normal. Yeah, so, so I, I think that distinction is clear because I think there's some confusion out there uh, where people think that maybe Voyager is still uh, linked with Celsius in some manner. No, we, you know, that relationship has dissipated over the last uh, few months. Uh, and we have very little and no, no customer assets uh, at all over at Celsius. Uh, there's no exposure to our business or to customer assets at all. Got it. That 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 is a good uh, distinction to make on a day like today. So so what do you make of some of these? You know whether whether it's an exchange like Celsius making a move like that, shutting down withdrawals, or you know some of these other more stablecoin projects where. People really thought for a while these things were, were pretty safe until they weren't. Yeah, look, I would say this. I would say, first of all, stable coins 
there, there's to me, there's one stable coin that's worthy of any company working with and like Voyager USDC. Uh, it's backed. It has attestations from a prominent accounting firm at Grant Thornton. Uh, algorithmic stable coins are exactly algorithmic. They're not stable. I don't know what they're, they're pegged to something, but that's not stable. Uh, so USDC, king of them all, uh, that's who we work with. Uh, we're excited about that uh, and continue to build upon that partnership that we developed with them many moons ago uh, when we actually bought uh, accounts from the boat, you know, from the fellows over at uh, Circle. Uh, so we're excited about about continuing to expand on that. I think that was one. And your, your second question, you had stable coins and there was something else in there too? Well, it was just about kind of, you know, and, and for some of these exchanges like Celsius that are now, you know, how, how do investors kind of grapple with that where, you know, if maybe they, they pick an exchange and then uh, go to withdraw their money and then they find out they can't. Yeah, I think, look, uh, I think one thing that consumers need to understand is uh, what the exchanges or brokers uh, are doing with customer assets. And we're we're transparent as all can be. All our financial statements are public. I think this is the value. This is going to show the value of being a public company here. Is that our financials are public? You can see everything about us. Uh, and then when you're putting your your money with with some companies that aren't you know transparent on what they're doing with the assets, you take more risk. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons we're looking for regulation in this space when you look at the traditional financial space and regulated broker dealers everybody has to file a statement of financial condition on an annual basis and we need that in this space because therefore customers can see the financial condition of the companies they're putting their money with and i think this sets us apart from others and because of our transparency and we're embracing that Beautiful. And then, Steve, is there any concern at all over at Voyager about being able to continue to pay, um, you know, whatever the interest rate is offered on any like staking programs or anything like that? We are very, very bullish on staking. Uh, again, we do not uh, work in the DeFi world. We will stake assets on nodes from our great partners that all just recently invested in us, like Block Damon. Uh, and stake assets for customers. Our lending partners, we've been open about for a long time now, and they're also investors in our company, guys like Galaxy Digital, uh, Alameda, FTX, uh, Three Arrows Capital, Wintermute. These are all big, big, big players in the industry that we work with on when we lend assets out. So there's two parts of it, the lending, and we work with the biggest players in the industry, and then there's the staking and we're working with guys like block damon and genesis on staking again two of the biggest players in the industry and so we took a different path than others in how we operate our business and i really believe this is due to our experience in financial services our team was around in 2000 2001 2008 we've seen ups and downs in the market and we know how to operate in in crazy markets. And this is what sets us apart from other exchanges and brokers and crypto companies. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's great news. And then uh, I, I know, so I know we went over kind of the fact that Voyager doesn't really have a formal relationship with Celsius anymore, but can you give us some more insight into at least what you think kind of is happening over there or what happened at Celsius to why they would be forced 
um, to to pause these withdrawals? You know, that, it's really not my place to guess what's going on at other places. We know how we operate. Uh, I don't have, I'm not inside their management team or inside their offices. Uh, it wouldn't be fair for me to guess on what's going on over there. Uh, so I just can't really address that because I'm guessing on someone else's company. Same way I wouldn't guess on how well Jason runs Benzinga. Uh, I wouldn't guess on what uh, and how he runs Benzinga. I wouldn't. I wouldn't guess on what's going on over at Celsius. It's not my place. Right. I, I was. I was hoping you'd maybe speculate a little bit, but I really appreciate that answer and the honesty there. I think that's that's definitely a more probably sound route to go. Uh, I just got a couple more questions for you, Steve. So first, I mean, if you've been in crypto, if you've been in Bitcoin for a while, you know. Um, that volatility and downturns like this are not unheard of and that Bitcoin has kind of always come back from downturns like this. What would you tell, you know, maybe some newer crypto investors who this might be their first time involved in one of these kind of big downturns? Look, I think that and I said this at the FTX uh, Salt Conference in the Bahamas about a month ago, that don't invest in crypto because of FOMO. And I think a lot of companies were selling FOMO ads and stories no 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 it's it's about investing in what you know technology that's going to change the future it's going to have its ups and downs you know whether it's bitcoin which we believe is a great store of value for the long term it might not be showing its value today but will long term ethereum and the smart contract and some of the other protocols behind it that are going to change we operate businesses in the future and then don't forget the stablecoin usdc stablecoin i would say to investors Make your investment, do your research, do some dollar cost averaging uh, to take advantage of the ups and downs and, you know, have a small piece of your portfolio in these assets and grow this long term. This is a long term value asset. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, last question, just because I saw this one thrown out in the chat and we always like to uh, open up, you know, the audience to be able to ask some questions here. Um, we find it. Someone basically just asked, you know, with the stock down, with Voyager stock down where it is, a buck fifty-six. Are you considering buying or adding any shares here? <laughs> uh, I can't disclose stuff that to you guys if, uh, without the, the entire public through press releases. We think uh, there's an opportunity. Uh, you look at where our stock is today uh, versus where it was 15 months ago when we were a dollar fifty. And we didn't have the depth of technology, the depth of customers, the depth of assets. Uh, you know, so I think it's a it's a, a solid opportunity for whether I do it, the company or any other investor. It's a solid opportunity. I appreciate it, Stephen. Yeah, I know I can't really ask that, but it, it was the chat that asked it. It was our audience that asked it. So I had to. No problem. Uh, happy to answer it. <laughs> Awesome. All right, Mr. Ehrlich, well, I appreciate you hopping on today. We'll have to get you on again soon for another update on kind of the crypto market, see what's going on. Uh, have a safe drive and, and talk to you soon. Thanks. I appreciate you having me. Of course. All right, y'all, that was Steve Ehrlich, CEO and founder of Voyager Digital. Now's a good time to tell y'all um, that if you want to go use Voyager to buy some Bitcoin, you can use the code Zing, Z-I-N-G, to make $50 after you deposit 100 free bitcoin no reason not to do it um that will be a wrap for us today we are toying with our new calendar this week where we're going to run benzinga live from 11 30 to 2 i believe money mitch will be going live today at uh 1 p.m let me confirm with the, 
the squad. Yep. Um, so stay tuned. We will have content going. Um, and we'll be back tomorrow, 1130. Love you guys. Stay green. Uh, probably not possible on a day like today. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe turn off the portfolio. Go outside. Go for a walk. Call your mom. Do something nice for someone because... Uh, you know, looking at your portfolio, stressing about it today, it's not going to do anything productive. You know, if you're going to make moves, if you're going to make trades, great, do it. Otherwise, just looking at it, being beaten up by it will do literally nothing productive for you. So um, that'd be my advice. You know, I want to show ends. I'm going to go pick up some lunch, go for a walk myself and, and know that, you know, this too shall pass. These things happen. Markets go down and then up. Um, all right, guys. Love you. See you tomorrow.